This week, on Myths and Legends, the Emperor Charlemagne is on a mission from God, and you'll see that you're never too old to start a new career. You'll also see that if you're going out to do some crime at night, it's totally cool and not suspicious to stop people on the road and ask them if they want to do crime with you. On the Creature of the Week, we'll see some tips for packed lunches that will also protect you from monsters with emu feet. This is Myths and Legends, episode 102, Honor Among Thieves. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Hey everybody, Spotify is making it super easy for you to stream this podcast, and others like it, on your mobile device, desktop app, and smart speaker. Open the app on your mobile device or desktop, click on the Browse channel, and then click on the Podcast section. Stay entertained during your commute to work, drive home, and downtime, now thanks to Spotify. Today's story takes place during the reign of Charlemagne. Charlemagne was the king of modern-day France in the late 700s and early 800s AD. He was the son of the hobbit name sounding Pepin the Short, the previous king. And during Charlemagne's reign, Charlemagne was crowned emperor in Rome by Pope Leo III, with hopes of reuniting the ancient Roman Empire. His dynasty got about as close as anyone would, and in the end, he reunited most of Western Europe, only to have his predecessors fight and divide it up again roughly 40 years later. With the Pope's blessing, you can probably guess that Charlemagne was a devout Catholic, and best buddies with the popes who reigned during his lifetime. In fact, we begin our story today with Charlemagne, receiving a vision and a command from God himself. The Emperor Charlemagne looked on the visage with awe. He was still in bed, but the ceiling of his chambers were gone, and he lay speechless under the light of the beauty of heaven. All his life, he had tried to be an honorable man, to follow God and his commandments, and now, God was speaking to him, confirmed when, above, an angel descended from the heavens until it hovered just above the emperor, who was now weeping for joy in his bed. Charlemagne, the angel said, you have been a good and faithful servant. Now, the good Lord has a commandment for you. Yeah, uh-huh, Charlemagne answered. This was amazing. A direct message from God? This was like next-level divine right sort of stuff. In the name of the Lord the angel continued. Yeah, Charlemagne cheered. Go forth and steal from your neighbor. Yes, Lord, I will... Wait, what? Charlemagne must have misheard. Go forth and steal from your neighbor, the angel repeated. Okay, I feel like we might have a bad connection or something, but it sounded like you said you want me to steal from my neighbor. That's exactly what I said. Twice, said the angel. Charlemagne thought about it for a moment. That really didn't sound right at all. In fact, it directly contradicted the Eighth Commandment. You know what? He needed to speak with someone higher up. Did the angel have a manager or something? Cute. But no, you heard right, the angel said. And you're going to do it, or else you're going to lose your life and your throne. All right, time to wake up now. Charlemagne sat up in bed with a start. He looked around his ornate chambers. They were dark again. The glory of heaven he just witnessed having disappeared, and his ceiling was back in place. He relaxed. Okay, cool. It was just a dream. A weird dream, but still, not real. He looked to the window, and seeing that it was still night, rolled over and closed his eyes. It wasn't a dream, 
the angel barked right next to him. There hadn't been any harpenters at all this time. The messenger reiterated that God did want him to steal from his neighbor. Tonight. Period. Or else he would lose his throne, his life, and his soul. Charlemagne blinked, and his room was again back to normal. He sat in bed, trying to process this whole event. It was obviously a demon in the guise of an angel, tempting him to sin. It made no sense either, because he was rich. He was really rich. He needed nothing, and he wouldn't be like the criminals he punished. No, he wouldn't listen to the angel or whatever that was. This was ridiculous. He was going back to bed. Ugh, look, this is a fairy tale, so I pretty much have to do this three times, the angel said the moment Charlemagne shut his eyes. I like you, but nothing happens to me if you don't listen. If you want to lose your throne, your life, and your soul, don't steal from your neighbor. If you want to listen to God's commandments, then get up and start lifting some stuff from your neighbor's house. The angel paused. He should probably say it a little more angel-like. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> if thou be not a thief ere the yonder moon sinks in the west, then thou art lost, body and soul forever. Charlemagne blinked awake, and he was alone in his bedroom. That last bit did sound pretty biblical. He sighed and decided that he should follow God, even if it meant going against one of the ten main things God had said not to do. He had never gone thieving, of course, so he donned a full suit of armor and took up his sword, shield, hunting knife, and spear. It was only by the literal grace of God that he made it out of the castle without anyone noticing, because clanging around in full armor with way too much weaponry in the middle of the night was definitely out of his normal routine, and incredibly obvious. God must have really wanted him to do this too, because even the people tending the horses had gone to bed early. He had a clear path for robbing his neighbor. The issue? He had no idea how to rob his neighbor. Charlemagne knew the broad strokes of it, take something that doesn't belong to you, but as for breaking into someone's house undetected, that was more complicated. He weighed his options and realized that some actual talent went into this whole gig. And the strangest thing? Charlemagne was mildly terrified. He would be more understanding of people who stole in the future. Some stole to be malicious, but if someone had to steal to feed their family, Charlemagne couldn't imagine living with that kind of stress. He decided to listen more in the future, instead of immediately hanging those people without trial. That might be a little more fair. Charlemagne slowed his horse to a trot. He was now out of his castle and well into the forest, and he had no idea what to do next. Even though God commanded him to steal, he didn't want to get caught in the act. That would just be embarrassing. It was then that he remembered one man from long ago. It was an outlaw who had been captured exactly once. And now he lived on the fringes of Charlemagne's kingdom, in these very woods, causing problems for the emperor and his soldiers. He was an elf named Elagast, and Charlemagne had been hunting him for years. The thing was, Charlemagne sympathized with the elf. Elagast had only ever stolen from the rich, and the emperor had heard stories of him distributing the money among the poor. If there was such a thing as an honorable thief, Elagast was it. And that's when Charlemagne heard a snort, right next to him. He nearly toppled from his saddle in shock as he turned and saw a slender black knight sitting on the horse next to him. Charlemagne spurred his horse away from the knight, who had managed to sidle up next to him, but he could hear the stranger spur his own horse onward, too. The emperor drove his horse harder, but the black knight kept pace until Charlemagne spun around. His overpacked thief getup was actually going to come in handy. It was on. Minutes later, Charlemagne had the stranger right where he wanted him. Charlemagne's sword had sliced the Black Knight's blade in two. 
and the mysterious knight surrendered. Oh, come on, man, that was really expensive, the knight objected, inspecting his broken sword handle. I think. I'm not sure. I actually stole it. What's your name, fiend? Charlemagne barked through his armor, sword to the black knight's neck. The tall man took off his helmet, and Charlemagne could immediately recognize the face. It was Elagast. Charlemagne, his own face still hidden by his armor, was giddy to his core. He was just thinking of the famous robber, and he had been hoping to engage in some light burglary this evening. Perhaps Elagast, the legendary thief, could help him pilfer something from his neighbors. Uh, you're not a cop, are you? Elagast replied, narrowing his eyes. Because this really feels like you're trying to clumsily entrap me. The emperor shook his head. He was just looking for a nice night out stealing. That was all. No strings attached. He also won the fight with Elagast, so the elf had to do what he said. Now who should they rob? Charlemagne snapped his fingers. He knew. They should rob the Emperor Charlemagne. That guy with his immense riches and his chiseled jawline and six-pack abs. He was just asking for something bad to happen to him. But Elagast stopped the incognito emperor right there. He had never wronged the emperor, and he didn't plan to start tonight. He didn't need that kind of heat. But if Charlemagne was looking to hit someone big, there was another castle not far away. It was that of Egrecht von Egermond, Charlemagne's brother-in-law. That guy was a complete jerk. He hated the poor and persecuted the innocent to death. Yeah, and he gives the worst Christmas presents too. Charlemagne added before announcing that it was settled. They would ride for Egric's castle. To their surprise, not just one guard, but all the guards were asleep at their posts. Elias instructed the strange newbie thief to maybe leave his sword, shield, hunting knife, and spear back with the horses. Having them with him was cumbersome and loud, and even with everyone sleeping, they'd likely get caught. Besides, if they did get caught, a few weapons wouldn't make a difference. They weren't going to fight their way out of a castle. Approaching the wall, Elgast and the apprentice Charlemagne saw that the gate was closed. Charlemagne guffawed and produced a pitchfork that he apparently snagged on the walk up. Now, Elgast had been at this for years, and so he had a small hand-powered drill with him. Just hit the wall in a few places, throw your body weight against it, and boom. Brand new doorway, he shared. Charlemagne, having been at this for 10 minutes, decided that he knew better and proceeded to try his way first. After 10 minutes, Elgast was standing in front of a giant hole in the outer wall of the city, and Charlemagne was sweaty next to a few scrapes on the wall with his pitchfork. Sufficiently humbled, the disguised emperor followed the legendary thief inside his brother's city to begin his first night of stealing. And it was so much fun. The rush, the thrill, the fear of getting caught and the surprise of what they found... Of course, he didn't actually need any of this. He already had the wealth of several kings combined, but still, it was a fun way to spend a Thursday night. Arms overflowing with golden jewels, Charlemagne and his new best elf friend, Elagast, bounded out of the hole Elagast had made in the wall. As they put as much as they could on their horses, and Charlemagne remarked that they should get on their way, Elagast stayed put. He looked at the castle, looming in the sky above them. There was one more thing. Elagast already had a reputation as an amazing thief going for him. But if he were able to get this, he would go down in legend. It was called a caparison. A covering for a horse, made completely out of gold and covered in tiny bells. It was nearly impossible to steal. 
but Elgast knew he could do it. And if he did, it would be like a thief stealing someone's alarm system. He would humiliate the evil ruler. It would be amazing. It was all the more difficult, too, because it was in the bedchamber of Egrecht and his wife. Of course, such a specialty item would be impossible to fence, but the reputation boost alone would be worth it. Charlemagne shrugged. Sure. This night was weird enough as it was. Why not steal his brother-in-law and sister's loud horse clothes from their bedroom while they were here? Charlemagne said he'd keep watch for the elf. We'll see what Elgast finds in the king's room that changes everything. But that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. Elgast was nearly in the bedroom before he heard the first people rising in the castle. It was Egrecht. Elgast took a deep breath, did a stealth check, and slid into the king's bedroom, focusing solely on not making a sound himself. At the far end of the room, not far from the horse clothes, Egrecht was sitting up in bed. After years of training, Elgast easily crept to the fancy horse clothes and lifted them from their holder. He dared to breathe again when they were safely in his arms. That was the easy part. Now, he needed to get out of the castle. The room was dark. Too dark. And packed with riches and artifacts of all types. Elagast caught his foot on a stand and stumbled half a step. He caught himself, but his foot thudded on the ground. And the bell shook once. But once was all it took for Egric to gasp and sit up in bed. My sword, my sword, Egric barked. He had almost fallen back asleep when the bells had rung. Elgast didn't waste time. He was a professional, and as Egrecht yelled, the seasoned thief secured the bells and slid toward the door. He was almost out and cloaked in darkness by the time Egrecht's wife awoke again, chastising her husband for screaming in the night. By now, the king was out of his bed in his nightclothes. Elgast knew he would have to wait to open the door. He was stuck in this room until Egrecht went back to sleep or until something else distracted him. His wife, Charlemagne's sister, told Egric to ease up. It was probably another one of his bad dreams. He had been plagued by evil dreams lately. She had been awoken more than once by his cries at night, and wait, wait, was that a sword? How many times had they talked about this? No swords in the bedroom. What were the legion of guards in the castle for if he was going to keep a sword in the bedroom? Egric sneered at his wife, who patted the bed. The bell thing was just a dream. They could check it out in the morning. But more importantly, what was on his mind? He hadn't been himself for the past few months. She was his wife. He could tell her anything. His shoulders slumped. It, it wasn't good. She was going to be mad. Elagast could have opened the door at that point and slid out of the room. But to have some juicy gossip about the king? That might be worth staying. He settled into the shadows. The queen assured Egric that whatever he told her, she wasn't going anywhere. Not only because this was a marriage, and she was committed to making it work no matter what, but also because these were the early Middle Ages, and as a woman, she literally had no other option. He smiled a sad smile. That was true. She was the best to love him and stay in the situation that she couldn't possibly leave even if she wanted to. Okay. He would tell her. Egric told his wife that he was frustrated by work. 
it had started a few months back. Sure, he was a king, but he wasn't going anywhere with his career. It was a complete dead-end job that he would be in until he died. She said that, well, he was the king. He had reached the pinnacle. There really was nowhere else to go. Maybe he should take some solace in a life well-lived and take up a hobby or something. He shook his head. That's where she was wrong. He was king, but there was one final rung on that ladder. Emperor. The queen cocked her head. Yeah, but my brother is emperor? Oh, 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 yeah, of course, of course, King replied. And he had a plan for that. It was actually the reason for his dreams. Tomorrow, he was going to go with his co-conspirators, murder Charlemagne on his throne at high noon, and divide up the land among them. He sat back and breathed a sigh of relief. Wow. She had no idea how good it felt to get that off his chest. He was so grateful to have a spouse that was supportive of his dreams. What? No! You're going to murder my brother tomorrow? What is wrong with you? The queen rightfully burst. I don't believe this, the king spat back. You said this was a safe place. You said I could tell you anything. Yeah, except plans to murder someone. Oh my gosh, I have to warn him, the queen said and began to kick away the covers. She had to get away from here. She had to get out of bed with this monster. You never want to do anything that I want to do, the king shrieked. You don't care about my dreams or my plans or my aspirations. He looked around for a way to get her to stay and then he saw the sword. She was nearly out of bed when he grabbed her shoulder from behind and thrust the sword into her back near her other shoulder. She couldn't speak. She screamed, but she couldn't move. She couldn't do anything but look on her husband, the man she had loved, the one she had shared a bed with for decades, with shock and betrayal. He pulled the sword out. She collapsed on the floor. That's when he heard the bells at the door. Elagast was nearly out of the room when, catching the young woman's blood that had sprayed across the floor, he slipped. Egric's eyes went right to him. And for a moment, Elagast looked on the king with disgust. He stood. He knew the king had a sword in hand, and Elagast was unarmed. But he could take this guy and avenge this woman. Elagast stood bravely until he heard boots pounding on the stairs behind him. The castle had woken to the sounds of the queen screaming. Elagast sneered and ran plowing through the guards on the stairs. As he did, the rest of the castle awoke in waves to the shouts of the king. Charlemagne, still in disguise, laughed at him as they rode off together, though Elagast was visibly shaken. The queen, the emperor's sister, something had happened. That's when Charlemagne noticed the blood. What have you done? Charlemagne growled at him. Elgast explained that something terrible happened. But something even more terrible is going to happen to the Emperor tomorrow. Charlemagne's hand went to his sword. But Elgast continued. The Emperor is going to die. And his own brother-in-law was going to betray him. And murder him with dozens of men armed to the teeth. Dressed as nobles at the feast. Elgast said that he couldn't tell the Emperor though. He was an outlaw. Setting foot in Ingelheim, the Emperor's city, would be suicide. Charlemagne shook his head. The man had come out of the castle with the blood of the queen on his hands. The Emperor's sister. He had to answer for that. Well, that was where the strange knight was mistaken, Elgast informed him, because the strange knight, as it turned out, was really bad at this. 
With that, Elgast turned his horse and bolted into the forest. Charlemagne yelled and took off after him, but as soon as he entered the trees, the strange, wispy, elvish man in all black had disappeared. There were more shouts from the castle behind him. People had discovered the hole Elgast had made in the wall and the couple of scratches that Charlemagne had made. The emperor had no choice but to head home. As he rode, he prayed to the same god that had sent him out on this contradictory quest that his sister would be spared. He arrived back at home and laid down just as the sun began to rise. Charlemagne stood at the feast and raised his cup. He was waiting. Against Elagast's unwitting advice, Charlemagne had allowed his brother-in-law and his men into the castle. It was then that he heard the news that his sister was alive, though badly hurt. Egric explained that someone had snuck into their bedroom the night before to steal the fancy horse clothes that completely normal people kept in their bedroom. The queen had risen from bed and the thief had tried to silence her with Egric's own sword. It was about halfway through the feast when Charlemagne's right-hand man came in with a message and he pressed an envelope into the man's hands. Charlemagne nodded and rose. From the table at the front of the room, Charlemagne turned to his brother-in-law and, voice booming, said that they had caught the man that had stuck into his room last night to steal from him. His name was Elagast. He had just turned himself in. Egert feigned happiness, but Charlemagne continued. As it also happened, they had the man who nearly killed his sister. Charlemagne gave the signal, and dozens of archers rose from hiding at the upper level of the hall. Egert felt a sword point between his shoulder blades, and he stepped forward. He took off his glove and threw it to the ground, challenging the emperor himself to a duel. The emperor shrugged. Yeah, sure, he accepted the man's challenge, but he had to make a quick visit first. Elagast saw the emperor standing before his cell and sighed. The man was alive. He wasn't too late. The emperor took out the letter and passed it to Elagast. You, you didn't open it? But how did you know? How are you still alive? Charlemagne said that he didn't need to open it. Elagast had already told him everything the night before, when he arrived covered in blood outside his brother-in-law's castle. The emperor was just waiting for the thief to do the right thing. Elagast's jaw dropped, and then he smiled. That explained why he was so bad at stealing. It was Charlemagne's turn to smile. Well, he was the Holy Roman Emperor, so maybe it was good that he was bad at being a thief. Then, the Emperor grew serious. I didn't doubt you, Elagast. I just needed you to not doubt yourself. You're a good man. You can go free. I'll give you a day's head start, and you can go back to your life stealing and being hunted in the woods, or you can fight one fight for me and truly be free. Your name will be cleared and you wouldn't have to live as an outlaw anymore. Charlemagne had fought Elagast himself last night. He knew Elagast could beat Egrict. He just had to want to make a change in his life. He told Elagast that the door to the cell was open. He could fight or flee, but he couldn't stay put. If he chose not to fight for Charlemagne, the old emperor could die in the fight and Egrict wouldn't be so understanding. With that... He left Elgast to decide, and Charlemagne dressed for battle, 
in the event that Elagast made the wrong choice. His elf friend didn't make it easy for him. The time came for Charlemagne or his champion to ride out and fight Egert. Egert was arrogant. He knew the aged emperor well, and the guy didn't have a chance. Besides, all of Egert's potential champions were either dead or in the dungeons after his failed coup that morning, so he'd have a hard time fighting yet another person to step up and put themselves in mortal peril for him. Charlemagne was steps away from trotting out to face his brother-in-law himself when he heard gasps and shouts behind him. The crowd parted just in time to allow a black knight, riding at full speed into the arena. The emperor stepped aside as Elagast blew past him. He didn't give Egert a moment, but immediately started fighting. In minutes, he unhorsed the man, and bleeding on the ground with Elagast's sword to his neck, Egert surrendered. thief learned that the queen had survived Egeric's attack the night before, he went to her after the fight. He only meant to share his condolences and share the news that he had killed her husband, news that she took pretty well. It was supposed to be a quick visit, but they hit it off, and the next thing the Emperor Charlemagne heard, they were getting married. The whole empire turned out for his wedding, even Egeric, though his seat wasn't really all that comfortable, or really even a seat at all. His body hung motionless from the scaffolding, far above the wedding. Even though Charlemagne would only live for another two or three years, he had a friend for the rest of his life, and Elagast took the place of the man he had defeated and became King Elagast, and having spent his life stealing for the poor and downtrodden, he used his position to rule for them. And the king that was a thief and an outlaw was the best ruler the people had ever known. Today's story came from a Dutch poem, put down a paper in the 13th century. There wasn't really room to talk about it in the story, but Elagast, the elf, could put people to sleep magically, open locks without keys, and has magical herbs that let him talk to animals. Anyway, that's it for this week. Next week, it's a story from the Middle East, with genies, gold ships, and a surprising amount of very good-looking sailors. In lieu of other stuff, we just finished up part three of The Count of Monte Cristo this week, on Fictional, our other podcast. And next week... It's Edgar Allan Poe. If you haven't been listening, you can find it on Apple Podcasts at apple.fictional.fm, Spotify on spotify.fictional.fm, and everywhere else by going to, of course, fictional.fm, or searching for Fictional wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this time is the Dinner Barata from Australian folklore. The Dinner Barata are like centaurs, except instead of the horse bottoms, they're half human half emu. Honestly, that seems way more manageable than horse half, and despite not being able to use chairs, it seems pretty comparable to being human. Also, you never have to wear pants because your bottom half is just emu. I'm just trying to look on the bright side here, but you know who really doesn't see the bright side in all this? The Dinobarata. They are large, relentlessly angry and brutal hunters that will chase down their prey and give them foot massages. I found one story of a young man who started out on a quest. He gathered together his hunting spears and packed his dilly bag with snares and fire sticks to hunt his own food. But then he thought about it. What if he couldn't catch a meal on the road? He should probably pack a lunch as well. 
So he stuffed a live bandicoot in his bag, you know, just in case. Cut to a few days later, when the heroes stumbled into a group of Dinabarata. I think they're also cursed with the dietary preferences of emus, because they won't eat people or meat or really anything besides grubs. Still, they're to be feared because of their foot massages. If they touch your feet, you too will become an angry, bitter emu person, plagued with hunger for grubs. It's a bad time. Knowing that he couldn't possibly outrun dozens of emu people, the hero dropped his bag in terror. And that's what saved him. His backup lunch, aka the live bandicoot, took off. And the emu people, having never seen such a funny and cute creature, bolted after it. The hero couldn't believe his luck, that his lunch had been cute enough to distract an entire group of emu people. And he was thankful that he avoided the foot massage and subsequent grub cleanse. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I'd also like to thank LinkedIn for their support this week. Remember, people are the heart of every business, and the hires you bring in matter, all of them. LinkedIn makes sense for the hiring process. It helps bring the right people to you. Choose LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com slash myths and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash myths for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. And if you listen to episode 100B, Chandler said yes. Congrats, you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.